0: What's up, investors? This is the investor weekly news update for May 22nd. We're going to be talking about affordable housing. What did Blackstone sell? And we're also going to be putting in an investor question asking about infinite banking or what we call here, our credit investor banking. If you guys want to get access to past videos of this, you can go to supportpassageflow.com slash investor letter. All right. So first off, Blackstone, what have they been up to other than defaulting on commercial real estate, then starting the biggest real estate fund ever, which still is a head scratcher to me. They're a big company. They do a lot of things other than real estate. And they are selling IBS software stake to Apex for $450 million. This was a solid stake in the Indian SaaS startup. IBS software. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it's just merely a they value-added this company and selling it, or maybe they see some weakness in the tech world. I certainly see weaknesses in paper assets in 2024 when you start to see a lot of the interest rate repercussions come out but we don't know and i think that's why i follow these types of headlines because blackstone are the big players and sophisticated money and you can watch what they do unlike what a lot of the other bigger players out there will do you can like i said you can take this one or two ways They're saying, having closely monitored the travel software sector over the last several years, IBS Software stood out as uniquely positioned in the industry offering a next-gen software suite that is, we believe is truly unrivaled over the last two decades. IBS Software has invested in product innovation and culture while continuing to scale on business. But moving on to more of tangible hard assets, which is what more we like. And this is a great article from The Visual Capitalist. A lot of really cool videos and visuals. And this is talking about the decline of of affordable housing in the United States. And this is a narrative that I I keep coming back to again and again. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And the middle class, which might be you out there listening, making a hundred to a few hundred thousand dollars a year. That's you, right? That's the middle class. The middle class is becoming more of an endangered species and joining the ranks of the lower middle class. Unless, of course, you, know, you learn how to invest and you learn how to pay taxes like how the wealthy do and you do a little bit of infinite banking on the side too, you, know, you can transcend and stay in the middle class and transcend to the wealthy class. From investment perspective, I like to invest in workforce housing. Because it it solves the affordable housing issue. And this is all talking about this growing demand for affordable housing out there. The U.S. is not building enough homes to keep pace with population growth. I just interviewed a guy, and you guys will see this podcast come out probably next month, talking about where is the population going in 2050. So stay tuned for that in this article as you can see in the housing start data in 1959 there are 1. 1.7 million housing starts compared to january 2023 where there's 1.3 million so almost like 50 years later or six years later there are less housing starts 1.7 down to 1.3 now it's crazy This decrease happened despite the fact that U.S. population nearly doubled from 176 million to well over 335 million today. Lots of different forces are working towards at the top level to stop more houses from being built. Space is one, right? Real estate, that's how you buy real estate. It ain't making more of it. Local zoning laws that limit the construction of multifamily homes is another culprit the covid-19 pandemic has also caused global supply chain issues leading to rising material costs for housing and the icing on top of the cake rising interest rates are making it harder for first-time buyers to enter the home market which is exactly plays into our investment thesis of investing in lower middle class housing such as apartments where you know whether it is a trend that's continue in the future where more and more renters are not. For the time being, especially younger people moving through that time in their life, they're going to need to be renting these types of housing. If you kind of zero in on the median home price, that's just skyrocketing, right? Whereas the income really isn't that. Some kind of cool data you can see. And if you have I think what kind of gets me a lot of time that I call bad data a lot. People always say my parent or my parents or grandparents bought a house. It was like five dollars, and I'm exaggerating there. You know, you you take a look at this chart. 1984 median home price just barely under 80 grand. Sound doesn't sound like a lot of money, but for a person making twenty two thousand dollars, that was the median household income today. Median home prices just under $400,000, and the median household income is $70,000. So that is a ratio of 5.61, whereas in in 1984, the ratio was near to 3.5. We're going to be going into some apartment data or news articles now. And if you guys want to get access to that Open the Kimono report, you get access to part one of this. To get part two, you have to actually be an investor with us, of course, but join our group, simplepassacashflow.com slash club. And especially if you joined our group within the past several months, get to know me a little bit better, book that free onboarding call. I always like to try and help you guys out as much as possible on that short call that we have together, but make a point to get out to our stateside retreat in San Diego, California. June 23rd to 25th we're going to be doing a full day of classroom on Saturday and then Sunday will be half day where we focus on taking what we've learned and a lot of st- structured networking of course we have the happy hours and the dinners and the lunch that's going to be sprinkled throughout the weekend and our group is you know typically hangs out pretty late and gets to know each other if you guys want to get Come to that again. That's June 23rd to 25th. It is you have to be a part of our database, and we have to know who you are. If you haven't yet booked your your call with myself, and if you want to get more, learn more about our community, go and join at simplepassacashflow.com club. So, Connect CRE reports that multifamily cap rates have begin to stabilize for the first time since the Federal Reserve began raising interest rates in early 2022, underwriting assumptions for prime real estate assets are beginning to stabilize CBR reports. The average multifamily going in cap rate increased by 23 basis points to 4.72% in first quarter of 2023. Quarter one of 22, the average going in cap rate has expanded by 136 bips and now eclipses the pre-pandemic average by 51 bips. Further, Though further expansion is expected, underwriting assumptions for prime multifamily assets will likely peak in the second half of 2023. What I would also add in here, and maybe I mentioned it last week, I'm starting to see at the larger assets, so in larger, you're talking $30, $40 million assets and greater, they're starting to move off the shelves a little bit as a lot of those buyers are the larger institutions. And like I said earlier, the institutions, a lot of times they just have to la- invest people's lazy retirement money and they just they get paid and compensated when they deploy. So they were waiting for quite some time and it's starting to seem like that they can only hold their bets so much and they're getting back into the game. Or maybe they have insider knowledge that interest rates are pretty much where they are going to be and we may see some backtrack or a, a sunset on the interest rate crisis that we're seeing now. However, on the, the small properties, your $20 million properties and below, I'm still seeing there's not many buyers out there in the market right now because the interest rates are higher. And more importantly, the loan of values that you're seeing that you're getting when you get underwritten for a loan are like in the 50 to 65% range. And it just kills a deal. I personally can't make a deal work. And there are people doing deals out there. I would scratch my head and wonder, hey, is it really a really good deal? Or are they just doing another deal just to pick up some fees so they can keep the lights on? Multifamily Insiders, apartment investment sales will rebound in time. So according to CoStar, apartment investment sales total $14 billion in the first quarter of this year, which represents a whopping 74% decline from first quarter 2022. The total also was the lowest amount for any quarter since 2012, with the exception of the second quarter of 2020, when the pandemic lockdowns effectively froze the market. Uh, you know, most times in terms of data, that the whole pandemic first half, everybody just, you got to just throw that out the window in terms of these records with unemployment and things like that for obvious reasons due to the pandemic. While there appears to be plenty of capital looking to invest in multifamily, a large gap generally still remains between sellers asking prices and buyers are willing to pay. Again, like what I was mentioning, the buyers just aren't able to get good lending terms, which is why their affordability or what they want they can pay um, has gone down. And therefore, there's this price discovery is what they're talking about article continues that says, in addition, not many distressed properties are available for acquisition right now as those owners still have term on their loans, which gives them ability to wait a bit longer in hopes that the capital markets will improve. Capital markets or the lending markets uh, will improve and allow them to refinance their current loans with more favorable options that are available today. Investors are waiting for these properties to become truly distressed and there's widespread belief that there are more on the market later this year. And I think that I would probably agree with this, right? A lot of folks out there, myself and a lot of other operators, we're in this holding pattern, hold the breath. We're anticipating that a recession is going to be coming in 2024, which is why we're a little bit more conservative, I think, than most and a little bit more, maybe not doom and gloom, but more pessimistic, I would use which is why we're taking steps to be a little more fiscally conservative with the assets that we do have or the ones that are on the line there. The article can continue to say, it's quite possible that investment sales won't pick up real momentum until next year. And again, I would probably agree with what they are saying here. They say, but as we gain more clarity about the interest rate outlook, which could happen later this year, sales activity will begin to rise. Fundamentals such as rent growth, vacancy, absorption are off their historical rates, but they're still at levels that signal a healthy multifamily market. That's in part because regardless of the state of the economy, people need a roof over their heads and the current cost of renting a house compared to owning one is supporting the multifamily demand. Also, boasting renter demand is relatively relative lack of single-family homes out there, according to CBRE rising construction costs led to a 41% decrease in single-family home completions between 2007 and 2021. So what they're talking about, the Great Recession, really put a damper on developments and really was the start of this. There was always like this affordability, lack of supply, and that 2008 really gummed that up. That up. And with the pandemic and with the current credit crunch right now, it's just for this long-term fundamental of this lack of supply for affordability homes for people, it just, that gap keeps in getting bigger and bigger, which is why I'm even more and more, if not to just fulfill this demand out there, this glowing demand, it's just, it makes a lot of sense, I guess, if you can push through the struggles. They can just say, and a Potential recession's impact on renter demand is likely to be relative minimal as the recession, if it occurs, is not projected to be particularly deep. Companies still have relatively strong balance sheets, which should help avoid excessive layoffs as the skilled labor market remains tight. Low unemployment will ensure resident demand for apartments remains strong. Something I was you know, I heard the other day, like we all look at the unemployment, right? Which is still amazing and super, super low. And as the Fed raises rates, hopefully, this is my opinion, as the Fed raises rates, raises rate, there's a big lag between when you start to see the negative impacts really start to hit the economy, which is why I think it's next year when we start to see those impacts, and which is why the recession comes next year. I don't think it's going to be a huge thing. We may not see that unemployment tick up too much, but it'll probably be in that next year when we see the most of the impacts. But I I hope the Fed or I'm, I'm sure the Fed is a lot smarter than I am. People look at unemployment as, hey, when do we stop increasing interest rates? Looking at unemployment is more of a lagging indicator that you don't really look, you shouldn't expect your unemployment to go up when you know you've reached the top with interest rates. Maybe I'm not explaining this the right way or super smoothly, but basically what I'm saying is, imagine if we all knew what was that magic number where the interest rates should be pushed up to solve this inflation problem, which I think we're getting to. You're not going to see any indication from the unemployment tick up. That is going to come out and manifest itself months into the future, maybe even a year or two in the future. Um, so looking at that now really doesn't help you. Uh, it's like driving forward, looking in the rear of your mirror. It's just a bad indicator of what's cool, what you should be using. And the Fed is super, I'm sure they're super smart and they're not smarter than me, like I said. And they've got a tough job, right? They've got to push the interest rates up and pull a few le- levers Using the data that they have, one of the data is that unemployment. Again, I think that's where I think a lot of people, they think unemployment is uh, a pre-leading indicator of a recession. The unemployment really is a lagging indicator there but i'm going to get back to my world of more personal finance and in the world of accredited investor banking which if you guys want to check out the free e course the e courses are back online although we will be changing our uh, learn management system or which is a members website here in the future as we change simple passive cash flow will no longer exist at some point and we will change to the wealth elevator which kind of takes into account like not all investors are at the same place, right? Like we we take in investors that are soon to be accredited investors, a few million dollars net worth, but those strategies change when you go a few million dollars net worth to end game four or five million and then a different set of, set of strategies that, I think that's what we encompass within our curriculum, right? That getting you from one to $10 million in the few stages in there. And that's where this metaphorical, elevator comes in that there's different floors to the strategy and it's just not one size fits all like for example dave ramsey susan orman those type of financial literacy people out there i like them i used to actually listen to them when i was in my 20s and even teens and i guess yeah this is how what a sick individual i was like i remember when i was like 12 or 13 i would read kiplinger's magazine money magazine I don't think they have Money Magazine anymore. I think that went away, but I used to read that stuff. Who does that? I did, and I learned a lot of stuff back then. But a lot of that information really doesn't help, and it confuses people when they start to cross over the half a million, million million-dollar threshold. And I think that's what's been my passion is creating this wealth elevator, this curriculum that you pick up after you hit up. That accredited investor status. Anyway, more on that later. But you know, the question that came up this week, and we urge you guys to submit questions to team at simplepassivecashflow.com Is uh, this is investor had a talk with myself? Yeah, he booked. This came up on the onboarding call, and then he I think he sent a follow up email, and then my team sent it back over to me. I think I'm. I got to go quick in these investor calls, right? Because I really only have maybe like twenty minutes to go through your guys' stuff. That's why if you when you guys book your calls, complete your form as best as you can. Net worth, AGI, speaking so guys for your taxes, net worth, is, that fits you, which floor you're at. And then liquidity. You know, if we, The more information, the better. A- and in this case, I think we're going through, we didn't have too much time. Sorry about that, whoever's question this was. But we we're talking about his current life insurance policy. And I think the reason I said, yeah, don't really worry about it, man, because here's what I enjoy doing. Like a lot of this is like sort of personal finance and it also gets it a little bit into investors' psyche and, you know, how I see somebody. Some, is somebody an overanalyzer or do they implement pretty quickly? I think in this case, in my in like my short time with this individual, of course, I think obviously expand the relationship further with the team and everybody, but you know, my snap judgment was, I was worried that this investor would really focus on infinite banking first before deals and taxes. In most cases, deals and taxes is going to get you 95% bang for your buck. And it's very common. I see a lot of engineers, technical people really geek out on the life insurance, accredited investor banking, which it's great, right? Do the e-course, which takes you two to three hours. But really, when you're starting out, don't waste too much time on that. Focus on the big rocks, right? kind of the 80-20 Pareto rule first, then we can optimize months down the road, of course. But I think in this case, I don't know if I asked, but I got a sense that this individual's life insurance policy was set up in improperly. We all use whole life insurance, but the special you got to set it up a special way with a certain ratio of... A life insurance to paid up additions, normally like a 90, 90, 10, splits only 10% are life insurance. You do any more than little kind of dirty secret is like the life insurance is where the commissions come for the dude, right? So the way we do it is we crank the commissions to the very least. So you don't meck your limits is the term. And at that point you pay the least commissions and you are able to fund it up the paid up additions as the most that you can. Most times, like most times people come in and they have some kind of policy. It's incorrectly configured, maybe with a 50-50 split at best or or 70-30, who knows. But that was the reason why I said, yeah, don't fund that thing anymore. Just let it go. Or maybe you can exchange it. That's where I would... I, I personally don't have that personal expertise. We have the team to do that. And then I think the second reason was... The, the guy's policy was like super small. It was like $5,000 a year. Most of us are dumping in fifty, a $100,000 a year. Some even doing $250,000 a year on themselves and their spouse together. So eventually creating several million dollars of cash value. Of course, the whole principle is you build up that cash value and you go and invest it in Deals, right? Assets, right? Making you money, hopefully doing value add for you, getting you the tax benefits. And then when you start to get to your sunset years or your end game, several million dollars net worth, I'll just use that. That's when you start to contribute to your cash value and have it build up. But until you get to four or five million dollars plus, the whole idea is you take loans from your life insurance and you know, but you're still getting that double dipping effect. So I think, again, this individual was, I think, pretty green. And I was like, dude, just you have some taxes stuff that you need to figure out. That's really low hanging fruit. A lot of the higher income earners will save 50 to $150,000 just by having a quick 10 minute conversation with myself. And let alone invest. That's why it's sometimes for me, it's frustrating because some of the doctors and dentists, they barely invest. They may do a deal or maybe not doing nothing, but they're still super stoked because they save six figures in taxes. More power too. If you can do both, right? Now you can run concurrent strategies and that's when you burn both ends of the candle. And that's where, you, that's really why the suite of strategies are so powerful because when you can make more return safer than the stock market and you pay a fraction of the taxes that you did before your net worth is going to go up and then do this little infinite banking a credit investor banking thing which only moves the needle a, a, a slight fraction and that's really that's simple passive cash flow but apparently we're changing the name to the wealth elevator because there's different stages of it and the whole cash flow word sounds a little immature, which is why I'm partly what we're changing it. You guys have any comments, you know, type it into the Facebook group and maybe get a conversation going. But that was the lesson learned question of the day. And I guess we will see you guys next week. Bye.